0: Welcome to Cosmos Insight, where we hear from the scientists who talk about their work. The Adelie penguins are found on almost the entire coastline of the Antarctica, but recent research by seabird ecologists has identified a massive reduction in the numbers of breeding pairs in colonies near Australia's Mawson Base. I'm Ian Mannix, and I'm talking to those researchers, Drs. Louise Emerson and Colin Southwell. Before we get to their research, Louise and Colin, tell me, how many Adelis are in the Antarctic?
1: There are about 14 to 16 million Adelie penguins. Uh, That includes both the breeding birds, the the birds that are old enough to breed, and the population of birds that aren't old enough. And and the proportion of breeders and pre-breeders is about half and half.
0: That sounds like an enormous number of
1: birds. That surprises me a little bit. Is it a, a big part of the Antarctic? They, it is a big population. They, they breed all around Antarctica, so they breed on ice-free land. But there are some areas of the coastline that don't have any ice-free land. They have glaciated ice going right to the ocean. But their breeding habitat is very broad, so they're able to breed right around Antarctica. And their foraging habitat at sea is offshore from those areas. And, uh, and their prey is abundant around Antarctica. So, yes, there are big populations of that species.
0: So before we get to your research, which does describe a decline in some areas, are they at risk?
2: Oh, that's a really good question. Um, One of the reasons why we study the Adelie penguins is because they eat a lot of krill, so they're important for managing the krill fishery. They're also closely associated with sea ice, and therefore they're an indicator and also vulnerable to changes in, in the climate, particularly in relation to the sea ice. Um, It's really challenging to tell how much at risk they are because there's a lot we don't understand about them yet. So it could be that, for example, some aspects of sea ice are limiting the populations, and that's what we're finding with with our work, but then in other areas, having too little sea ice is actually a problem as well. So predicting what's going to happen in the future is actually a real challenge for this species.
0: And just before we get to your research specifically, tell us about how they eat krill. What are the things that you can describe for us so we get to know the Adeli a bit better?
2: Ah, look, the Adeli penguin is quite an amazing and remarkable creature. For most people, they understand that, you know, the penguins are breeding on land and they've got good eyesight when they're on land. When they get in the water, they're um, super ninja quick at catching krill, they Uh, Can forage down to 140 metres, although they generally forage in the top 25 metres, is where they capture most of their krill. Um, They eat krill, they eat fish, they also eat anthropods and squid. We're finding that they're eating a fair bit of jellyfish, but we're not entirely sure whether they're targeting them specifically. They're incredible, we've got video footage of them capturing krill in the water and they, you know, they swim along, they're just swimming along and then suddenly they'll just dart forward and capture the krill and they can capture quite a few in in a dive.
0: Like a waiter looking for a glass at a cocktail function, yeah?
2: Something like that, yes.
0: Uh, You're probably over all of the gags. But uh, your research in a particular part of uh, the Antarctica has found a decline in at least one population. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, so we've found a really concerning finding that there's been a 43% decline in the Adelie penguin metapopulation along the the McRobertson land. Um, That's around Mawson Station, Australia's Antarctic Mawson Station. Uh, This is a population that's spread across 52 breeding sites along a 100-kilometre stretch of of coastline. This 43% decline translates to around 154,000 breeding birds And, you know, have declined over the last 10 years. So that is quite a significant decline for this population. And in the context of that population, over the six decades before then, it had been an increasing population. So part of the reason why we're so concerned about this result is that it was such a thriving population. uh, And then it became very significantly, negatively population, negative population decline really very rapidly over that decade.
0: Uh, look, I've got some amazing questions about that, but just how do you personally feel when you work with the Adelis or any other uh, marine creature and suddenly or over a short period of time you discover the decline? How does that make scientists feel?
2: Uh, that, yeah, so the paper that we've just recently published, um, we've actually got a sentence in there that starts with, disappointingly, this penguin population has joined a long list of declining seabirds. Populations in the world. And it's the first time I've actually used language like that in a scientific publication. It's not something that we normally do. But when you put your heart and soul into studying species and trying to do whatever we can to mitigate any, any potential impacts or any emerging problems for the birds, it's, it is really disappointing when you see their populations going from being okay to, to having such a significant population decline.
0: But given that you guys have mentioned that uh, there's a very large number of birds down there in the, you know, 14 to 16 million, is this going to matter? Do we need to see a sense of urgency around this? Or have we got time to work things out? Or as you've said, uh, Louise, to mitigate, what what do you think we need to do? What was the best approach we need to take to this now?
1: I think one of the things that is a feature of this paper um, that uh, was a surprise is that the, the finding of this feedback process where there's an initial decline due to an environmental impact and that feeds back into the population dropping more quickly than we would have expected through demographic processes of chicks not surviving as well. So that is a really concerning finding in that the predictions that are being made about the future of, of uh, species such as the Adélie penguin, their projections into the future of climate change maybe underestimating the impacts that would really happen because they're not factoring in these feedback loops so we think our finding is really important in that sense in terms of what could be the future of the species and that finding is also relevant to many other species and we hope it shines a light on those processes and people start thinking about them more than they have.
0: I think the paper describes two different types of ice um, and you're looking at how the uh, delhi penguins interact with that ice, how they feed, how they come back on land. Uh, just to describe that a little bit for our um audience, please.
2: yeah, so around the breeding sites, there's often um sea ice that we called fast ice, it's attached to the land and it extends out from the colony um, across the ice. That can often provide a barrier for the penguins because they need to get from their, from their nests over to their foraging grounds. And if that's really, really thick and consolidated and there aren't many cracks in that ice, then they have to walk or toboggan sometimes up to you know 60 kilometres to get across the ice to get to their foraging grounds. What that means is that if the chicks are tiny, if they've only just hatched, they need very regular small meals and they need to have them very frequently. So if the parents have a long way to go to get to their foraging grounds, then they just can't feed the chicks as frequently as they need. And in some years when the sea ice, when that sort of sea ice is very extensive, we can see um, total reproductive failure across that whole region, across all of those populations. And that obviously, you know, for a long-lived species such as the Adelie penguin that can live you know, up to 25 years or so, that isn't a problem if it occurs occasionally um, in terms of the overall population, but if it occurs, occurs very frequently or um, in a big solid block of time, then that will obviously have an impact on the population later.
0: And that's what you think happened between around about 2005, 2010, yeah?
2: Yeah, and so we think that that triggered that initial decline. And then after that period, the chance of having total reproductive failure also increased longer term. And this is a feature of that particular coastline where the amount of fast ice seems to be actually increasing at this point in time, in contrast to other areas around the Antarctic coastline where the the amount of fast ice is decreasing. So it's very variable in what is going on with the fast ice in terms of actual changes.
1: And we've known that for some time that the fast ice has an impact on breeding success. But what we've been able to do here has only been possible with really long-term observations. So we've had observations of this population for 30 years now. And over those 30 years, we've had very detailed observations of not just the populations themselves, but through a mark-resite program of their survival. And, and they're the kind of new findings that have been possible with this really long-term monitoring program. Yeah, so that's good science, isn't it? Yes, it is Absolutely.
2: good science. Of course, we <laughs> yeah. think it is. <laughs> yeah, and um, as Colin said, with that mark recite program, what we could see is that actual survival of the adults hasn't changed over that period. That's remained high and constant, but the survival of the fledglings has actually declined over the last decade or so, and that is a problem because what you know, we we look to see well, what was driving that decline in fledgling survival, and um, I'll just wind back a section, a fledgling is a chick at the end of the summer that gets in the water and heads off into the ocean for its first winter. And so it, they they go into the, into the water at that stage without any parental supervision. So they're basically our youngsters um, in the penguin population. So these little guys have gone off into the water in winter and their survival has actually become um, greatly reduced. So that is a problem because not only have we had chick failure at the breeding colonies but the birth the chicks that do have survived have then had trouble surviving themselves over winter and when we looked to see what was driving that we couldn't find any environmental covariates that were associated really strongly with fledgling survival and it was primarily the number of chicks that were leaving as a cohort at the end of summer that seems to be associated with a decline in their survival. What that means is we think that there's safety in numbers for these fledglings in the ocean, and then as the populations decline, it's possible that they've lost that capacity to to, to survive together.
1: We're hearing now in, in the conversations about floods and fires, about the higher frequency of those kinds of events, and what that long-term um, program of observations allowed us to observe was a higher frequency of large fast-ice years, more and more of them. Our previous observations were of a small number, and we've found in recent times that's happening more frequently. So as Louise talked about with that, um, more frequent events, it's harder for a population to buffer itself from um, more frequent events like that, just like it is for us humans to start to buffer against more frequent floods and fires. But I
0: think in your paper you specifically suggest that you're not right now blaming climate change, global warming, for the decline of this population. Is that correct?
2: It's really hard to know exactly what's caused this increase in that um, extensive sea ice. And also, although we, we think we understand what's driving fledgling survival, there could be other things that are going on in that marine environment over winter that, that are causing their decline. It's just we can't tap into that. We don't, for example, know whether, you know, we can't say absolutely there has been no change in the prey in the in that water. We, we don't actually know that we don't have that information. So... From what we can tell, the breeding success has been dropping because there's become more increase in fast in, in ice. What's caused that? Well, I'm not sure you'd need to talk to some of the sea ice scientists because that could be a response to climate change for the sea ice.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I also noticed a piece of research from Karen Roberts from the University of Delaware funded by NASA that says um, climate change might shrink the population by as much as 60% by the end of the by the end of the decade, now obviously, sorry, the end of the century. So, we can't discount climate change for anything, can we?
2: No, we, we can't. And also, predicting what's going to happen in the future is, is very challenging. We, we assume that for this population, if there is a little bit less fast ice in the area, um, breeding success should, you know, increase a little bit. And maybe that will help this population in the short term. But in the longer term, if we have too much loss of sea ice, then it could be that their capacity to rest on the ice when they're foraging or forage directly under it, or the association between ice and krill productivity could also decrease and therefore it could therefore result in, in a major problem for this population as well. And so there's this delicate balance between too much ice and too little ice and the type and timing and nature of the, of the sea ice that's all really important for the penguins.
0: Do you see your research um, in any way as being a canary in a coal mine or is it too early to tell given that there are still 16 million Adelis scattered right around the coastline of the Antarctic? I think
1: it's, it's, it's focusing our awareness and hopefully, hopefully others' awareness on the complexity of the situation, the complexity of population processes and, and um, how difficult it is to predict ahead in time. It's very difficult in such a remote place to even understand what's going on now. Um, to try and explain what's going on in the future is, is more difficult again, and that's the challenge for us is to try and forecast the future as best as possible with the information we have and improve that information over time.
2: We, we also know that there are areas around the Antarctic continent, mm-hmm. such as the, the Antarctic Peninsula, where the penguin populations aren't doing so well, Over in the Ross Sea area, the Adelie penguin populations are, you know, they're fairly stable. What we have been aware of with the work that we've done is that in East Antarctica, this has been more or less a stronghold for Adelie penguins. So the fact that this very large regional metapopulation has now run into trouble is, is an indication that possibly this stronghold for Adelie penguins won't continue to be a stronghold for penguins. So although we, we we think there might be 16 million penguins in total, that's the total population, we probably need to do those sums again, given the changes more recently.
0: Yeah, because a piece of research which I think you're involved with, but um, it suggested on over at Casey the total number of Adeli's has grown from thirty thousand to two hundred thousand pairs in in a, in a few few uh, decades so uh, and then you've got another another piece suggesting at Anvers island it's decreased from five thousand and eighty five pairs to three hundred and twenty nine pairs it's quite confusing uh, and getting a handle on that big picture is something that you guys will have to direct the rest of our community on
1: yeah, and that's been a focus of our work to try and work very big scale so this population that we've been talking about along the Robertson Land, which is near Mawson Station. That's one of several very large populations across East Antarctica. And we've been trying to understand what's going on in all of them, along with our our colleagues from other nations working in East Antarctica. Um, The population that you just mentioned, uh, which is in the Windmill Islands near Casey Station, yes, that increased by six fold from 30,000 to nearly 200,000 breeding pairs. That's 400,000 breeding birds in six, six decades, uh, and it's still increasing. So that's very much in contrast to the Mawson population, but we're seeing signs now that that population growth is starting to slow, so they're still increasing, but at a slowing rate, and we think what's going on there is that they're starting to um, hit the limit of certain resources that they need. So the amount of space they have on ice-free land for breeding, um, the amount of food they have through competition with their own with other Adelie penguins. So you've got all of these penguins breeding on particular islands and their foraging zones are overlapping, so they're actually competing with each other for food. And so it's it would be expected, um, no population can keep on growing forever, but if that population continues to grow, then those kinds of limits will start to kick in. So a real feature of our work is that we're finding that there is variability from region to region. And That variability gives us a much better understanding of what the broad scale drivers are. It can vary from place to place.
0: And you wouldn't want uh, any of that variability to come up against global warming, would you? The possibility for adaptation in the long term just gets squeezed.
2: Yeah and one of the things from, from our study is how rapidly a population can go from doing okay to really not doing okay and that you know, I think that is a problem. Can these birds adapt to a changing environment if the change in the environment is so rapid? Um, the other thing that I think is really important to also consider is that, in amongst um, climate change and then a resum- resumption of fisheries in this area, which, you know, we obviously need to manage really carefully, it's at very low levels now. I don't think, you know, it's a problem at this stage. We've also got a very large increase in human activities around Antarctica and obviously people wanting to go and see penguins. So we're actually looking at at a finer scale change in um, population growth rates. Is there any variability that could be associated with our, our human activities in running our Antarctic programs? And I think that's something that we also need to throw in the mix of managing really carefully. So we do have to make sure we've got the right monitoring so that we can detect Early warning signals are that anything's going wrong, going wrong for these penguins. And even though it is a large population, um, we want it obviously to stay healthy. So we are concerned about what's going on at the moment.
1: And, and one of the great challenges for us is to be able to tease apart those different potential influences. As Louise said, it's not just climate change. Uh, it's not just human activities. There are fisheries happening as well. When all of these activities are happening in the same areas, it makes it very difficult to, as a scientist, to put your hand on your heart and say, we know exactly which impact is, is going on here. And it takes a lot of planning and thinking and designing of your, of your science design and the monitoring program to, to give you the best chance of attributing cause.
0: That's great. We'll keep the Adelie penguins in the forefront of Cosmos Reader's minds.
2: Yay, as they should be.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much for giving up your time today. It's really it. It Thank fun. you. You've been listening to Dr. Louise Emerson and Colin Southwell from the Australian Antarctic Division. I'm Ian Mannix, and this has been another Cosmos Insight.